Welcome to the Countryside Kitchen Meets, a food and farming podcast. I'm Millie Fife, your host. I'm a mum of two, farmer's wife, food producer and passionate about flying the flag for British food and farming. Today I have Alexia Robinson, founder of Love British Food with me. We'll talk to her shortly. Then I've got a few time-saving hacks when it comes to mealtime preparations, meaning you can juggle the children and cook a tasty, nutritious meal. Okay, so today I have a very special guest with me. I've known Alexia Robinson for nearly 10 years. I first came across Love British Food Fortnight during my year as chairman for the National Federation of Young Farmers Clubs. Alexia asked me if I would put together a reading to celebrate food and farming at a Harvest Festival celebrations at Westminster Abbey. Boy, was that an event. (laughs) Reading in front of royalty, celebrities included Martin Clunes, Damien Lewis and the Hairy Bikers. Even Richard and Judy were there. (laughs) For nearly 20 years, Alexia has been flying the flag for British food and British producers with a campaign gaining traction year on year. Love British Food Ambassadors, including Raymond Blanc and Liz Earle, have pledged their support and the campaign is featured in many mainstream media outlets. Alexia is a country girl originally from Dorset and cares passionately about the British countryside and rural way of life. Her mantra is no sheep, no cows, no countryside. If we don't buy British and support our farmers, it won't be long before we don't have any farms, have to rely much more on imported foods of questionable quality and the countryside will become a rural theme park. She obviously has plenty of fire in her belly and motivation to achieve great things. A warm welcome, Alexia. Hello. Millie, it's so lovely chatting to you on this podcast. (laughs) I can remember that year. It was 2013. Gosh, I can remember it. It was the first National Harvest Service to be held in Westminster Abbey for nearly half a century. And just me and one other girl organised it. And it was huge. And we had school children from across the country, had 500 school children all compete to attend in something, an event we called the Harvest Lottery. And they all arrived with produce that they'd grown in their schools. And the whole of the nave at Westminster Abbey, which listeners will have seen in you know, famous occasions like William and Kate's wedding or whatever, the whole of that nave was all full of trestle tables overflowing with the children's produce. And as you say, and it was just, there were so many celebrities who came. It was just hilarious. I remember seeing the school children all practically bash the Bishop of London out of the way because they wanted to get to the hairy bikers and get their autograph. (laughs) (laughs) And Damien Lewis was there and it was the height of his homeland fame. And and I remember it was just after he disappeared in the series and the Duchess of Cornwall said to him afterwards, where are you? (laughs) 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 The whole thing. Anyway, and then you found this incredible poem which I think your grandmother had given you and I'd never it was like you know God made me God made him a farmer and I really recommend to anyone to go onto the Love British Food website onto the Harvest pages where there is a full recording of Millie's reading because there were lots of things about that day that brought a tear to my eye um, because it was just so joyous and poignant and special. But Millie's reading, anyone who is passionate about farming, I tell you, you will feel so proud listening to Millie in her role as chair of the NFYFC read it. It was, we had letters from people afterwards saying it was one of the best days of their life. Anyway, I could go on about it forever. No, it was was a wonderful occasion. That was was then. Yeah, yeah. 20 years of British Food Fortnight we're celebrating this year. We're in the middle of it. Yeah. So what what was your motivation behind the campaign? What made you create such a wonderful organisation? 
Well, there will be there will be some listeners on this podcast who probably weren't even alive 20 years ago, but and all who will forget who would have been so young. But 20 years ago was when our much loved rural community was plunged into. I mean, I think the biggest disaster really since the war, quite frankly, with the foot and mouth disease. It's amazing how easy it is to forget that the countryside was shut down for months. Mm. You footpaths had do not enter signs on them. The news every night had pictures, some really upsetting pictures. Mm. Oh, I've got chills just thinking about it. Mm. And pies as in fire pies with animals piled high burning. I mean, Millie, it was so sweet in your introduction talking about how I mean, we all care whether you're brought up in Dorset, Lincolnshire, Scotland, wherever you are. If you live in the countryside, it is in your bones. Mm. It's, we are all aware how lucky we are to have been brought up in a country environment surrounded by, you know, farming communities and, and all the joy that goes with that. Mm. And to see it burning in front of my eyes was just devastating Mm. and I like many other people you just thought what can I do to help what can I do and I'm well as all of us country people incredibly practical aren't we I always say to people you don't you know we're the sort of people you don't look at a a messy yard and just wait for someone else to sweep it you pick up the brush and you sweep it Mm. that's a very simple analogy but I was like you know I'm going to pick this brush up and I'm going to do something to sort this out and and in in quite a naive way I had a very simple idea it was the time where these big awareness events like Red Nose Day, um, Breast Cancer Awareness, to name two of the most famous ones, were becoming commonplace mm. and um, are really successful. And, and they, they were becoming big moments on the national calendar. But there wasn't one for food and farming. And I thought, well, that's interesting, because in fact, there has been one which we've all forgotten about, mm. which is Harvest Festival. Mm. And of course, actually, Harvest Festival is a lovely, traditional, old-fashioned awareness event Mm. that was more of a fixture on the national calendar than Christmas and Easter was years Mm. and years ago, and that actually communities across the world gather to celebrate the harvest, and it brings people of different ilk together, united by the love of food. And um, and so I had what was a naive, slightly romantic idea, but also with a very practical passion behind it, was that I would set up a national event that would become a fixture on the national calendar, a time in the autumn, the last week of September, the first week of October, where the nation would celebrate British food. And this wasn't a flight of fancy. I, What I wanted to achieve very simply was I felt if we can show the farmers who are crying on television as their livestock are being burnt, if we can show them that we are encouraging the British public to buy British, to actively seek it out when they are shopping, when they are going to the pub and looking at a menu. If we can show the farmers that we are getting a swell of support amongst the public to buy British, to eat British, those farmers hopefully will dry their eyes and see that there is a domestic market for their produce. There is a future that is worth them continuing to invest in their farms to develop their their marketing to develop their product to develop an innovation and and leave that leave a healthy farm with a future for the next generation Mm. and the generation after that so that is what i wanted to achieve 
the I looking back at it, it was um because I mean I was just I was just a girl <laughs> on my own. I wasn't part of a big organization or anything. But I met for some reason, I can't even remember now, but I was very lucky. I was invited to lots of things that the Prince of Wales used to organise at Highgrove, where he'd sort of gather lots of like-minded people. And at one of them, I met this fabulous man called Bob Cotton, who was head of an organisation called the British Hospitality Association. And he said to me, Alexia, no one in the context of foot and mouth is talking to me. And he said, the government, the big farming organisations, they're all getting together none of them are talking to me. And he said, my members in hospitality put together by more British food than all the retailers combined. Mm. But no one's talking to me. So he said, if you're going to set up this event, British Food Fortnight, focus it on my members. Focus it on pubs, restaurants, food service, public sector food service. And I went off to the then president of the NFU, um, and banged on his door and said, look, I've got this great idea. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up this awareness event. And I'm going to base it all on food service. And I was told our members are not interested in food service. Our members are only interested in retail. Mm. And I was shown the door. And that just made me more determined, actually. Mm. And, and I'm, again, being quite practical, it, it gave a real impetus because it tr truly, no one was focused on food service. So Love mm. Food became about, that's where we really started and retail came came later. And and, and sorry to listeners wondering what on earth happened during the event. We very simply encouraged, we, we, well, we started working with a small restaurant group actually called Les Routiers, which doesn't exist anymore. And we encouraged them to run British Food Fortnight menus in their restaurants and to measure the increase in footfall, the increase in profit and sales. And, and we worked similarly with a very small retail organisation called the Guild of Fine Food Retailers who ran delis and farm shops and things like that. And we did the same with them. We ran British Food Fortnight promotions. And through, so there was probably a combined force of about 650 outlets taking part in those early years mm. came back to us with sales figures and they proved that British Food Fortnight made commercial sense because what I didn't want to do was I wanted to move I wanted to, what I wanted to move away from was saying to the public poor farmers foot and mouth's been awful they've also had BSE poor them support their produce I thought I just didn't want a charity message going out. I wanted something much more positive, much more commercially robust. And so it was really important to me that I, I proved to shops, pubs and restaurants that stocking British was actually going to put money in their pockets. It was a mm. commercial thing. Mm. This, mm. this event, British Food Fortnight, was it was lovely and it was romantic and it was fun and we had loads of celebrities taking part. I remember Terry Wogan, we, we went and cooked in... <laughs> we were delivered him a British food fortnight breakfast, his studio in a frying pan. Amazing. Um, <laughs> it's like we were just such amateurist PR people, it was just me and a friend. And and he came up with this great so he said, on air. He said, Oh, I wish every week was British Food Fortnight. And that sort of became like the slogan for the early days of the event. And I remember we did um well, they were playing cricket at the Oval and we took a British Food Fortnight tea to the commentator team and they said the same thing. And so with really simple, I want to say sort of, I don't know, it was just very simple sort of cottage industry type PR ideas, we suddenly got a lot of impact. And mm -hmm. but the, so it was fun and we were getting the PR joy. We were getting celebrities on board. 
I mean, of course, because there wasn't anything like this anyway. But mm. we were also proving that it worked commercially. Yeah, yeah, and, definitely. And then what happened from that, which was brilliant, is we proved it worked commercially in the independence. And then looking at food service, what happened was the major pub groups then paid attention and they then took part. And then in, in retail, you got the budgeons and the laundresses mm. who looked at what was going in independent and they then took part. On the food service side, once the major pub groups had gotten this part, we then had organisations like Aramark. We're, we're talking the huge food service organisations that lots of farms wouldn't even, because they're not consumer names. It's not mm. like the name of a supermarket, like we all know what Tesco is. Mm. We know what Aramark is. But actually, Aramark is one of the biggest food service organisations in the world. Mm. They do, for example, they do the catering in the Athletes' Village at the Olympics, to give a little bit of interesting background. But they would also do the catering at some of the major offices, office buildings in the country and do staff restaurants and things like that. Mm. And, um, and they started to say, oh, let's put British food high on our agendas. We want to take part. And the same then happened in retail. So then having Budgeons and Londis took, taking part successfully, we then had Spars, Tesco, um, them, them getting involved. And at the same time, underpinning it all, there was, I mean, people will, I mean, God, it's been rumbling on for ages, but people will remember how back then there was such a clamour to put teaching about food and cookery back on the national curriculum. Mm. I mean, because when I was at school about... 300 years ago um there was you know we all did home economics yeah in my case not very well <laughs> but, um, so what we did with British Food Fortnight as well as the retail activities the food service activity the fun stuff with celebrities like Terry Wogan and things we um we set up an education program where we teamed up with the Department for Education and the Department for Health which is really interesting both signed up to the project and I keep saying we, actually, it was just such a lie. Basically, mm. I, <laughs> I wrote a guide to teaching children about food within the national curriculum. And so mm. rather than thinking we're going to campaign to get home economics or equivalent back on, we will show the teachers how within the existing curriculum, even if it's like in English or geography, you can include food education. Mm. And we produced this guide. So I produce this guide. I love seeing it. It's bright yellow. It's on our website. It's bright yellow. I love it. It's called Putting the E Back into Food. Both the Department of Education and the Department of Health endorsed it. The, um, the Prince of Wales wrote the forward for the first edition. The Duchess of Cornwall has written the forward for the later editions. And we sent out 35,000 copies to teachers Brilliant. in the country. And, and that, that gave birth to our, our school programme, which then became huge. Mm. Very largely thanks, I have to say, to the Duchess of Cornwall, mm. who is passionate about teaching young people how to cook and is incredibly knowledgeable about mm. it as well and who stood side by side with me and was like a fairy godmother and we had I mean we had about I don't know 10 years of running incredible programs for children mm. getting excited about food a lot of which culminated in that fabulous harvest service mini mm. that you spoke at so um so yeah it's been quite a it's been quite a 20 years yeah um <laughs> where do you find your energy i mean blimey you've covered so much ground alexia and you've achieved so much and think you should be so proud of what oh, you've really, achieved look can i say people like you and rich who i know you spoke to last month and of course friends who i've grown up with have been the energy behind this and actually more recently and this is very interesting more recently, we've, we've had a real cut at promoting British food in the public sector, which has always felt impenetrable, mm. which is 
preposterous because the public sector buys 2.6 billion pounds of food every year and no one has thought about promoting British food mm. that's, I mean it should be the NHS for example could be British farming's biggest customer mm. anyway mm. so I've been working in the sector a lot and what's been fun is I have actually formed really what I'd call really strong professional friendships with the people who are responsible for leading food in care homes in the NHS in local authority caterers mm. who are responsible for, for schools and care and the care sector, prisons, others. I now sit on a group called the Public Sector Industry Catering Group. And they have actually become they're, they're really terrific people, actually. Mm. And they, I mean, through working with them, every one of them now has British, British food high on their agenda. Every single one of them wants to affect change in their sector, Brilliant. which is probably the achievement I'm most proud of actually mm. but, but so when you're saying what the energy is they're really nice people and they've become real sort of teammates actually we've all worked very closely together but but just on a human level what I will say to anyone listening is you are kidding yourself if your energy is the same when you're in your early 50s as it is in your early 30s it is not <laughs> <laughs> that's just me being honest so, oh um, I'll take your word for it fortnight from my early 30s to now what's planned for this year's campaign you know you've obviously given us a, an overview of what's been achieved in the last 20 years what can we look forward to this for, for this year's campaign well, I was just talking about the public sector. Um, mm. this, that, this is going to be central to this year's campaign, partly because we've got to a point where British Food Fortnight as a catalyst for action in that sector has become mm. really powerful. And so we're going to be having special British Food Fortnight promotions in universities across the country, in NHS trusts. Hundreds of schools are putting British Food Fortnight menus on. Hundreds of care homes have done for years and are doing so mm, again this year. The prison sector is highlighting it. Um, Scotland has got an incredibly strong um, local sourcing. Well, they've just, they've just, they have managed to put in place proper local sourcing supply chains up there mm. and they're taking part. And that is going to be very central to this year's, this year's event that's taking place at the moment. So anyone who is listening, if your children... Um, if you have children who are at school, I hope that they've got a British Food Fortnight menu. If you have elderly relatives in a care home, I hope that they are enjoying British Food Fortnight menus. Mm. If, unfortunately, you have to visit a relative in hospital, I hope that your local NHS trust is, is taking part. Mm. Um, at the same time, we've got lots of fun activities taking place on social media, which, of course, is something that has changed so much. In When I started this, social media was not a medium for communicating. Mm. So that for me, has changed things a lot. Yeah. And our, I've invested heavily in our social media platform this year. And it's really powerful. Actually, I'd say it's yeah. probably one of the main platforms there for promoting British. And we've got a really wide audience. Because I think um, it's very easy for us country, us it's the, for the country community and for farmers to think that when we're all talking on social media, we're somehow promoting ourselves. And we're actually just promoting it to each other. Mm. And so I've invested heavily in our social media this year to make sure that we are promote getting the message out wider yeah. to key influencers. And, yeah. and we've really achieved that. So please follow us if you're not already. Follow us at Love of British Food on Twitter um, in, in particular, but also on Facebook and Instagram. And then really fun community activities. This is the heart of British Food Fortnight. You know, it's an event of the people for the people. Mm. And 
Um, and over the years, we've had everyone from small villages like the village of Haslington in Cheshire to market towns like Emsworth to cities of Pe- the cities of Peterborough and Bath all take part in British Food Fortnight and, yeah. um, and herald the, the, the food produced in their hinterlands, really. And that- yeah. There's also some great fun um, food festivals taking place across the country. So I hope everyone is within driving distance. My absolute favourite probably is um, the Ginger and Spice Festival in Shropshire, which is a celebration, obviously, of the Gingerbread Man and many other things. Um, and the Tame, um, the Tame Food Festival in Oxfordshire is, I mean, that's just grown so Wow. I mean, during these 20 years, there have been so many other tremendous initiatives mm. That I have seen grow and grow and grow. And you know, there are a lot of amazing people out there who've been very tenacious and have have achieved a lot. And and you know, British Food Fortnight, it's not about me, it's not about it's it's an umbrella under which I really invite everybody else to come in and use it to celebrate what they do themselves. Mm. Um, it, it should be a broad, that's what I wanted to achieve, a broad church so that yeah. The sum of the whole is greater than the parts, or whatever the phrase is. Definitely. And I think, you know, how, how can people get involved? I think you've kind of given a few hints and uh, suggestions, but is is there anything in particular that somebody listening could do um, other than obviously amazing idea is, is getting um, British on school menus? But, you know, if, if I've got listeners that, that want to find out more information, what can they do? Well, do the, the website, again, is something I had a, lockdown investment in and spent days locked away in my room rewriting the entire website there is a ton of information and it's um, I I like to think it is now well laid out (laughs) Um, so please have a look at it everything you need to know is there but a particular message Millie for your listeners is that we have an initiative now where we want to team farmers up with opportunities in the public sector Rich Boer, for example, we have introduced him to his local NHS trust and to the catering manager in that. Now, I don't necessarily think that that is going to turn into an opportunity in the short term, but it might well turn into an opportunity in the medium and longer term, which Mm. will introduce a new supply chain between Rob's farm and his local hospital. Yeah. Um, and so anyone listening, if you would like to be part of that, please email us at info at lovebritishfood.co.uk or contact us via our Twitter feed. And we will work with, in particular, the leaders on the NHS Improvement Programme, who are very keen for farmers and wanting to be put in touch, to, to get in touch in that way. But equally, we can make introductions to local authorities in terms of schools and care homes. So that's that's one particular thing. I mean, obviously, follow us on social media. I mean, I know everyone's being asked to do everything on social, and it, you know, it drives me potty to an extent, but that is where, <laughs> that is where everything is at now. And 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 yes, if you if you've got children at school of school age, um, and your school is not taking part in British Food Fortnight, go to the website, go to Teacher Zone, download some of our stuff, take it to the teachers, take it to the catering managers, and say, listen, could you think about taking part next year? Yeah, yeah, and you know, and if you've got, um, if you're part of a community. I talked, we know this conversation started. Let's, I love conversations that go around in full circle. So let's bring it full circle. Let's bring it back to the celebration of the harvest. Yeah. Now, this isn't something that needs to take place in churches alone. This is something that I'm really keen 
goes out into the community. So wherever you are in the country, think about whether you could gather through local volunteer groups, community organisations, and have some form of celebration around the harvest. Mm. I mean, there was a terrific one a couple of years ago that took place in the centre of um, the city of Peterborough, where about 800 people gathered for a harvest lunch um, during the day in the central city square to celebrate British Food Fortnight. It doesn't have to be something as huge as that, but um, yeah. So lots, there are lots of ideas. Yeah, fab. I remember a few years ago when I was working with RABI, we had an outdoor harvest service just in a field on a few straw bales. And we had a vicar that came and, um, you know, led the service, but we sang harvest songs we had animals and we had machinery and it was just wonderful and um you know there's been lots of things similar to that replicated and i think like you say you don't have to be in a church it's more about the bringing home of the harvest you know the hard work um and the culmination of then coming together to enjoy a meal as a community or as friends or or what have you it could be just inviting friends around for a nice roast dinner or a bowl of soup or what have you because I think I'm sure everyone can appreciate now um, after the COVID pandemic that actually we take you know we don't shouldn't take things for granted and just having that time together to enjoy a meal and have that conversation um, is, is always a, is always a positive in my books. Can I ask you could you suggest a tasty meal that is easy to prepare that you would make for the family I bet you've got a few dishes up your sleeve Alexia well do you know Millie I I was thinking about this and I was thinking what I would love to encourage because you're a few years younger than me the younger age groups do is to embrace something that was commonplace um, amongst my mother's age group which was to buy a slow cooker and it was just I mean everyone's kitchen had a slow cooker and you'd put the you know, the meat in it at the beginning of the day, <laughs> slowly prepare, slowly cook, drawing that, and you'd have the best stews ever because the mm. meat was so succulent. So my message to listeners is um, go and look up slow cookers online. And I mean, it's honestly, it's such a time saver. I mean, it's like a sets you free. It really does. Just yeah. pop it all in. And the other thing I love about stews is that you can reheat them again and again and again. And actually they get more succulent and more flavoursome. And I just think throw just you know throw some delicious beef in there the the cheapest cuts to be frank Mm -hmm. save yourself some money mushrooms go brilliantly in it i'm a huge fan of mushrooms and onions and just yeah shove it all in the in the slow cooker and just what you know whatever seasonal veg is available you know and if yeah if you're trying to encourage children to eat you can spice it up with some delicious condiments whether it's red currant jelly or whatever i'm not going to say ketchup (laughs) 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 um but yeah, no, I can make a meal. I can make um, a, a, make a stew. Go go on for days in our yeah. household. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think for me, I, I really enjoy cooking stews and casseroles because you know I, I'll probably eat with the children, but then Andrew will come in later and it's still warm and then he can take his helping. And then if we've got an unexpected visitor, I can give them something as well and it, it you can make it go like you say it'll go for for days and yeah. and I just generally get what I've got in the fridge or what's in season out in the garden um I mean one of the things I was going to talk about briefly is um butternut squash is in season right now and I like making butternut squash soup or tasty skinny butternut squash fries which um are really good and I the soup, um, I generally cut the squash into um, small chunks, roast it in the oven for 30 minutes with some sea salt, dried sage, rapeseed oil, and then 
pop it in a pan uh, with some chicken stock, simmer until the squash starts to break down, then cool, blend with some creme fraiche and a touch of chili flakes. That's if you like your chili flakes or if your children do, um, some don't. And then the same process really for the skinny fries. Repeat by cutting the squash into thin strips, smothering rapeseed oil, sea salt and sage and cook in the oven for about 20 minutes and then turn. And if they're nice and crispy, then serve. So um, I'm a big fan of seasonal veg and butternut squash is one of my all-time favorite and one I've got loads in the garden at the moment. So, and the kids love it too. So that's always a great thing to serve up on a cool evening. That's for sure. Something hearty. Okay. My time-saving hack. I know there was always talk of eating fresh fruit and vegetable, but as a busy parent with children who go through phases of liking, then hating certain food, it can be quite frustrating to have lots of food waste or floppy veg lurking in the fridge. I actually use a lot of frozen veg. You only use what you need. So zero food waste and the freshness is locked as soon as it is harvested and then frozen within two hours. I still try and eat in season where possible and freeze lots of the surplus fruit and vegetables in the garden. But peas are probably the ultimate mealtime pleaser for the family. And in fact, my boys enjoy a bowl of frozen peas at snack time. What a result. (laughs) So next time you do your shop, think about the frozen aisle for some of your fruit and veg. You can easily put together a smoothie or a pasta dish using exactly what you need at the fraction of the cost, as well as maintaining um, nutritional value. And I think, you know, we all we all say that we we should eat more fresh and eat fruit and vegetables. But actually, we're not all superheroes. And actually, um, frozen vegetables and frozen fruit, just having little bits on hand and zero waste can only be a positive. Would you agree, Alexia? Well, I completely. And actually, I'm remembering back to when I worked with the Department of Health producing that um, the guide to teaching children about food within the national curriculum. Mm. I worked with the five a day team. Mm. there, And actually, I learned then, which I had not understood before, that actually you do not lose much nutritional value in frozen fruits and veg. Mm. It actually is quite locked in, which I had no idea about. I thought it was a, a sort of a second class of a fruit and veg if it's frozen that actually is not the case no you might lose some taste I mean because mm. there's nothing better than the, the taste you get with the freshness I mean if you pick it yourself because you've grown it yourself yeah. we all know that but in terms of giving your children or just your family you know nutritional fruit and veg no frozen is fine and, and I completely agree peas I mean the easiest thing snip the top of the plastic bag pour some out and shove the rest of it back in the freezer I mean it just is a time saver but but you know on that note I know it's an old-fashioned thing to talk about blackberry picking but you know every time I get to this time of year and obviously it's a busy time of me running Bush Shoot Fortnight and I haven't picked enough blackberries and I curse myself because um picking lots of blackberries and shoving them in the freezer is something that gives you great pleasure and brilliant vitamin c mm. all winter to fight mm. off those horrid cold, colds definitely oh yeah you got my taste buds going now thinking about a blackberry and apple crumble with a bit of custard mm. oh, <laughs> it is is the best oh right well that's all we've got time for today and um, next month on the countryside kitchen meets we're going to be talking to kirsty wilmot of manor farm drinks who produces cordials using fruit and flowers from the hedgerows surrounding her family farm So don't forget to subscribe and tune in on the first of every month. Thank you, Alexia. It's been lovely, lovely, lovely to catch up with you. Let's hope even more people get involved with Love British Food Fortnight after listening. 
Thank you. Millie, thank you so much. Bye. <laughs>